Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. Hey, we're starting a new series this morning about the Holy Spirit. Is anybody excited about that? I am. I'm very excited about it. Today we're going to kind of intro the series. Um, John chapter 6, verse 63. And it says, it is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. It's the Spirit, life. That's what we need. Now, now, I'm not talking about physical life, right? Because you've got that already. What are we talking about? Spiritual life. The Spirit gives life, and the flesh, what we can do on our own, Prophets, how much? Nothing. And so we're starting this new series called Life in the Spirit. That we would live these lives in the Spirit because Jesus said the Spirit is the one who gives life. Now today we're specifically talking about the person of the Holy Spirit and kind of introing this series. But I was very intentional when we picked a name for this series and to call it life in the spirit the the spirit because we wanted to choose a name that really captures what we're trying to accomplish here we wanted a name that would express the fact that we want the holy spirit to radically affect our lives not not that we would bring the Holy Spirit in on our deal. But it would be a life in the Spirit. Every aspect of our life, every portion of our life would be in the Spirit because Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life and the flesh profits nothing. So we're very intentional. This is not just to study the Holy Spirit. We're, we're going to do that. We're going to study the Holy Spirit. We're going to study what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit. But further than that, more than that, for us as the mission, we want to make a declaration that what we want, our lives lived in the Spirit. That's what we want. Not just study it. We don't just want the head knowledge understand that there is a spirit and and know some things about him what we want it's a declaration as a church that we want a life in the spirit see the christian life is meant to be lived out in the spirit it's not meant to be compartmentalized too many of us live compartmental lives where on Sunday mornings and, and maybe Tuesday night and maybe for an hour in the morning while we read the Bible or whatever it is, we're attempting to get close to God and we're in the Spirit then and then we go to work and, and everything changes and our lives are compartmentalized and, and we give God Sundays or whatever days, but, but then Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays are ours and we do our thing. We don't compartmentalize our lives. It's supposed to be what? Life in the Spirit, encompassing, engulfing everything that we do and everything that we are, everywhere we go, everybody that we talk to, our, our job, our neighborhoods, our, uh, our workplace, our, you know, whatever, where you go to school, every aspect of your life, your relationships. Now, I do want to say or explain 
how we came to do this series because we're taking a break from a series to do a series, right? We're, we're, this is not generally what you do. You usually finish a series, then start another series, unless you're me and I'll start a series in the middle of a series. I want to explain to you why we're doing this series now. It's because I absolutely love this church. Love you guys. And I want God's best for everybody. I want you to experience everything that's available to you through Christ. I want you to know the fullness of His love. I, I want you to have His comfort when you need it. I, I want you to experience the awe of being in God's presence. I want you to have a dynamic relationship with God through prayer. I want you to be used by God for amazing things, so much so that it gives great meaning and purpose to your life, far beyond anything you could have in this world. That comes from a pastor's heart that God has developed in me. I didn't have that naturally. Naturally, I don't like people at all. But God has somehow over the years broken some of that down. And I absolutely love you guys. But with that can come frustrations at times. When you want the best for somebody, right? Sometimes there's a frustration when we're not quite there. And Butch can tell you that I always want more. Always, well, I'm never happy about anything. We'll do something and, and we'll sit down. He's super stoked with how it went. I'm like, I, that didn't go good. We got to do better. I, I always want more. So I always want more for us as a church. I always want more for you as individuals. And that means then I'm not okay when I feel like worship is flat or waning. I'm not okay when prayer meetings are dying. I'm not okay when attendance is way up, yet giving is way down. I'm not okay when the majority of the people show up 10 minutes after we start worship. I'm not okay when I feel like we should be doing more to reach our community, and so on. And then there's a lot of other things in there. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay when marriages are falling apart within our church. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with people are struggling from addictions within the church. When, when people are battling with pornography, I'm not okay with that because I love you guys. And I want God's absolute best for you. And recognizing that all those things that I mentioned are really at the root symptomatic of deeper spiritual issues. Every one of those things are really at their core spiritual issues. And wanting the best for the church, I realized that I needed to start to seek the Lord on what we're to do. It was coming up on the new year and I didn't know. I thought we were going to do something on discipleship and got some time away and spending time with the Lord and, and seeking Him and just really being overwhelmed by all of it. 
right? Because think about it. When you're looking at all of those issues at once, what happens to you? You become overwhelmed, don't you? And then God spoke to me and made it very clear that all of these things are spiritual issues. Therefore, they have to be dealt with if they're going to be dealt with in any real meaningful way by His Holy Spirit. See, I can't run around and start trying to fix each one of these issues. I can't put a mechanism into place to fix each one of these issues. There's only one blanket solution to whatever might be a problem for us spiritually, and that is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So that's why we're doing this series. I read in Acts 1.8 that it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Church, I want that for us. I don't want marriages to fall apart because we don't have power. I don't want people bound up in addiction because we don't have power. I don't want to start new little whatever's trying to put a band-aid on something that we can't fix on our own. I want us to have power. And the scriptures say that you'll receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I want that for us. When I read in scripture of the difference that it made in the early church between these men that were scared, sitting in a room behind locked doors, afraid for their lives, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And the very next thing, they're standing there testifying of Jesus, fearless, fearlessly. I want that for us. I want that for us. I I believe God wants that for us. I'm reading a book right now, really good book uh, by Jim Cimbala called uh, Spirit Rising. Um, we may read that together really soon as a church. It's a really good book. The foreword for the book, though, is written by Francis Chan, and I want to read a portion of the foreword. Listen to what Francis says in the foreword to this book, Spirit Rising. Every Sunday, millions of people sit bored in church services. Even the churches that spend a fortune on production and put on a great show eventually dissatisfy. But think about something. Is it possible to be bored with the Holy Spirit? If He's truly moving, would we ever look at our watches? So isn't boredom a sure sign of the Spirit's absence? This is not about asking for the Holy Spirit's help. This is about asking Him to take over. It's for those who refuse to put up with going through the motions any longer. It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing, John 6, 63. Stare at that verse. Do you believe it? Does your prayer life reflect it? The Holy Spirit is not merely helpful. He's our only hope. He's the one who gives life. Yet, when people lack life, the church often points to other solutions. When church services lack life, we we grasp at so many other 
methods to try to generate excitement. Church, I don't want to do that. The last thing that I ever want to do is try to manufacture some replica of spiritual life to try and generate some man-made excitement in here or look for other methods. Church, what we are desperate for is the Holy Spirit. The only thing that can handle everything that plagues me or you, the church or our community, the only thing that's going to cause us to get up and go out there and reach the lost, the only thing that's going to help us to refine our lives so that there'll be a light to this world is if we become desperate for a move of the Holy Spirit, an authentic move of the Holy Spirit. We're not manufacturing anything here. So that's where this series originates from. I want to pray then just for a minute as we begin this series. Lord, as we start this, I pray for every person in this room that we would let go of ourselves, our selfishness, any spirituality that we're trying to generate on our own, any front that we've put up before you and other people, anything that's not authentic in our lives. I pray you'd take that from us now. And that we would come bare before you. And as we start this series on the Holy Spirit, you would now make us the men and women, the church that you long for us to be. Lord, pour out your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start this morning now then shifting gears, talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. That is, who the Holy Spirit is. We are going to spend the majority of this series talking about what the Holy Spirit does. The work of the Holy Spirit, which is super important. What does the Holy Spirit do? In fact, after today, most of what we talk about is what the Holy Spirit does. But before we get to what the Holy Spirit does, we want to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. The person of the Holy Spirit. Because if we do not understand rightly who He is, then we won't respond to Him rightly. So here's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, making Him both a unique person and divine. Making Him both a unique person and God, the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a who. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a who. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has been portrayed merely as power from God or an influence maybe emanating from God or illumination from God or as one heresy of the early 2nd century said that, that the Holy Spirit was the exerted energy of God. Sometimes the Holy Spirit gets kind of painted for us in, in this picture of energy uh, exerted from God. We, we kind of reduce him then to being kind of like the force from Star Wars, right? He's just, God is is 
God and, and then the Holy Spirit is just the kind of force or power or influence that emanates from God. But that then denies the Holy Spirit of being a unique person within the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is unique and a unique person within the Trinity. But if we're honest, it's kind of easy to think of the Holy Spirit that way. It's just kind of an emanating power, isn't it? Uh, and I think it comes from the terminology that we use around the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, it's called spirit. Like, the, how do you relate to that? Spirit, what does that even mean? Or the old King James doesn't help us here because he calls him the Holy Ghost. So we start using this terminology of ghost and spirit and therefore our terminology gives us this kind of idea of something very mystical and ethereal, hard to understand, hard to kind of pin down and put a finger on, yeah? Terms like ghost and spirit and things like that. Far easier, isn't it? to relate to Father, God the Father. We have a picture of that. He's pictured sitting on a throne. We have, okay, we, we can attribute personhood to God the Father. That, that's a little bit easier. We, we understand what a father is, and we have a picture of that. Even easier to understand God the Son, because God the Son came as Jesus Christ to our earth, and, and He walked around, and He talked to people, and He ate, and hung out, and, and showed emotion, and, and all of those things that we attribute to personhood. And so easier to relate to God the Father, or God the Son as a person, harder to relate to God the Spirit as a person. It ends up a bit ethereal and, and kind of out there, but we can't think in those terms. This might help us a little bit. We divide personality kind of into three realms. Intellect, emotion, and will. Anything that has intellect, emotion, and will, we attribute personality to. And the Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit has intellect. That means the Holy Spirit knows and thinks and understands. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, it says that the Holy Spirit searches and knows and reveals the deep things of God. Then we see that the Holy Spirit has emotion, that the Holy Spirit has the ability to feel. In Romans chapter 15, verse 30, it says that the Holy Spirit has love. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says that the Holy Spirit can be grieved by our sin. That, that our sin brings sorrow to the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, we see that the Holy Spirit has will. That, that means that He can decide things and act upon things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, it says the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts. And then it says this, distributing each one individually as he wills. He chooses the gift to give individuals, and he chooses to whom he gives that gift. And so we see there intellect, emotion, and will, all pointing to the fact that this is not merely some ethereal force from God, but it is a unique person within the Trinity. Let's take another step, and maybe this will help more. 
It helps us to understand the person of the Holy Spirit when we understand His character and attributes. We see then in those personality. Imagine if I came up to you and I said, I want you to meet somebody who's a great teacher. They're a great comfort in times of trouble. I want you to meet somebody that when they come into your life, they bring you love and joy and peace. I want you to meet somebody that's a great counselor. I want you to meet somebody that's always going to point you in the right direction. They're always going to be honest to you, with you, and they're always going to tell you when you're in sin. I want you to meet somebody that's going to pray for you. You don't think then of an impersonal force, do you? Of an ethereal, weird, mystical kind of force out there emanating from God. You think of a person at that point, don't you? But that's who the person of the Holy Spirit is. Not only is he person, but he's also divine, meaning that he's God. He is the co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit was involved in creation in Genesis 1-2 and Job chapter 33 verse 4. That he is eternal in Hebrews 9 verse 14. That he can be sinned against in Acts chapter 5, that he can be blasphemed in Mark chapter 3, that he regenerates us to be born again in John chapter 3, that he gives eternal life in Galatians chapter 6, that he inspires scripture in 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Peter chapter 1, that he's all-knowing, that he's all-seeing, that he's omnipresent. Peter when he's dealing with Ananias and Sapphira, says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. He is God. Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 16, when he's talking about sending the Holy Spirit, he uses this terminology. He says, I'm sending you another helper. But the word another there is the word elos in the Greek, and it means another of the same kind. What Jesus is saying is I'm sending somebody just like me. Same essence of deity, just a different person within the Trinity. Co-equal with the Father and Son. Not only is he person, but he is God. Now, you might go like, all right, that's all okay. I'm trying to pack it all in my brain, but I don't know. Here's why that's important to us. Here's why it's important that we understand the Holy Spirit as both person and fully God and not just a force or a power or an influence from God. Because if we view the Holy Spirit as just kind of power to be gotten and wielded, then because we are sinful people, we may look for the power of the Holy Spirit to be used according to our will. You see, if we look at it just as a force to be grabbed a hold of and wielded, I need the power so that I can do the things that I want to do. But that can be selfish and that can be self-centered. In fact, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he writes three chapters chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, 13 and 14 of 1 Corinthians, to make sure that they don't have a selfish view of the Holy Spirit and of the, of the spiritual gifts. So if we only view the Holy Spirit as power to be grasped, it could be, in our own sinful way, selfish 
for us. But when we understand the Holy Spirit as a divine person, when we understand Him to be equal with God the Father and God the Son, then we understand that He is infinitely holy, that He is infinitely wise, that He is infinitely mighty, and that He is infinitely loving. And then as God, He is then worthy of our adoration, worship, and very importantly, our obedience. If the Holy Spirit is God, then He is worthy of our obedience. He is then to be trusted as God, if He's God. He's not just a force, He's not just this eminent. If He is God, then He is to be trusted. And we can then surrender our lives and our will to the leading and the working and the guiding and the conviction of the Holy Spirit as God because He is God, right? That makes sense to anybody? Cool. And then what happens, hopefully, is we stop thinking of the Holy Spirit as power for us to use. And we start thinking of Him as God who should get a hold of us and use us. Not just a power for us to grab a hold of, right? We don't want the power of the Holy Spirit just for power's sake. We want the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can do the will and the work of God. You see there's a difference there, right? In why we approach and how we approach the Holy Spirit. R.A. Torrey in his book here, the Person and the Work of the Holy Spirit, great book written, uh, I think it was first published in the year 1900. R.A. Torrey said this. He says, if we think of the Holy Spirit, as so many do, as merely a power or influence, our constant thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of Him in the biblical way, as a divine person, our thought will be rather, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? And the idea then being that as God, He's worthy to be listened to, to be obeyed, to be surrendered to. That we are to seek and view then the counsel and the wisdom and the guidance and the leading and the correction and the conviction of the Holy Spirit as coming from God, as equal as it would be from the Father or from the Son. So we're then not just focused on what the Holy Spirit does. Right, that's important. We're, we're going to get deep into what the Holy Spirit does. But we don't want to start this just focused on what the Holy Spirit does, thinking, what experience can I have? What, what gift can He give me? What power can I have? All of that is important when it's viewed rightly, but it could be viewed or taken wrongly, and we could use that selfishly. And so what we want to begin with is, who is the Holy Spirit? He is God. Therefore, He is infinitely holy, infinitely wise, infinitely loving, and worthy of my full attention and my full obedience. 
Amen? Good. All right. Cool. We're off to a good start. Shifting gears then. As we understand and we study and, and we try to come to terms with who the Holy Spirit is before we talk about what He does, as we talk about who He is, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the primary agent of God at work in the world right now. Let me explain that a little bit. The Holy Spirit's the primary agent of God at work in the world right now. God has chosen at different times to work in different ways. There were times where God worked through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was times where God worked through the law, the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. There were times where God worked through leaders such as Joshua and the judges. There were times where God spoke through the prophets and they were the key figure at the moment in time and history on the earth. And then there was a time where Jesus the Messiah came to the earth. We've been studying that in the life and times of Jesus. But right now, remember what we saw the chart last week and it talked about the church age during that church age, where we are right now, God has chosen to work through the Holy Spirit and His church. He has chosen to combine those two things. This is the primary means by which God is at work in our world now. That is to say this, that God is currently at work through weak, broken flawed, sinful people who have been cleansed, gifted, anointed, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? God has chosen to, at this time, combine His church with His Holy Spirit to work in this world. And so what that means for us then as the church is what? The Holy Spirit's everything to us. The Holy Spirit should be everything to us. What can we do without Him? What is your ministry without Him? What can you do in reaching this community without the Holy Spirit? What addictions are going to be broken without Him? How are you going to reach those marriages that are being lost? How are we going to reach those children that are hurting? How are we going to do any of the things that we're called to be and do in this world without the Holy Spirit? What we're saying then is that the Holy Spirit is everything. And that's why we're calling this series life in the Spirit, not life with the Spirit. We're not asking the Holy Spirit to come with us in our life. We're not asking Him to come alongside our church and help us out where He can. We're trying to immerse ourselves in Him. We want our lives to be lives in the Spirit. We're not including the Spirit in our deal. We're trying to get into His deal. We want 100% of our lives immersed in the Spirit. And so therefore, life in the Spirit is a declaration for us as a church of our absolute dependence upon the Holy Spirit. When we go through this series, guys, I don't want you to think of it as, okay, we're doing this series, cool, we're going to learn a couple things uh, about the Holy Spirit. I want you to focus on the fact that we're making a declaration as a church that we choose to live our lives in the Spirit, and we recognize that we are desperate for a move of the Spirit. And then the final thing that I want to say about who the Holy Spirit is for this morning, and especially as we prepare for 
further worship now as we're about to have another set of worship is that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God on earth now. That the Holy Spirit is the presence of God on earth now. Not just the active agent, not just the power behind the church, but He's the very presence of God to be experienced on earth now. That is that the Holy Spirit is God extending His holy presence into creation. Think about that for just a second. That the Holy Spirit, what we're studying, what we're longing for, right now at this moment in time, is God extending His holy presence into His creation. Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, when Jesus was physically standing on the earth, said this, He said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. That's that Elos, another just like me. Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to send somebody just like me, another member of the Trinity, that He will be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Jesus is saying, I am sending the Holy Spirit as God's presence on this earth now. Right? Jesus is preparing to leave at this point in John chapter 14. He's preparing to leave the earth and he's comforting his disciples by saying, you won't be left without God's presence here on earth. Now, we understand from scripture and from experience that there's a vast difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. Let me explain what I mean there. Omnipresence is a big fancy theological word that just simply means everywhere all the time. We understand that God is everywhere all the time. King David said in Psalm 139 verse 7, he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And he says it in a rhetorical sense. He's like, there's nowhere I can go and get away from you, God. You're everywhere all the time. Your presence fills the earth. But we also see from Scripture that there are times where God's presence is manifest among His people, where God's presence is both felt and experienced among His people. And it's done in different ways. We understand that there's a difference in God's omnipresence being everywhere all the time and what happened with Moses at the burning bush. God's omnipresence and what happened with Moses on top of Mount Sinai. We understand there's a difference in God being everywhere all the time and leading and comforting his people by a pillar of fire and a cloud through the wilderness. Jacob wrestled with God. God spoke to Abraham. I was just reading that this morning in devotions. God spoke, met with Abraham, said, leave your home and go to this land that I'm showing you. That's God's manifest presence to Abraham. God spoke to Elijah in the small, still voice. The Spirit came down, it says in Numbers chapter 11, and rested upon the elders, the 70 elders of Israel. They were sitting around with Moses and the Holy Spirit manifest himself, came down and rested upon them. When Solomon was dedicating the temple, the Spirit was manifest. God's presence was manifest right there in that temple. So much so that the 
priests couldn't go about their duties. They couldn't even stand up. They fell to the ground because of God's presence being manifest among them. We read that the Spirit was manifest to Ezekiel and Ezekiel 3, 24. We see at Jesus' baptism, don't we? The Holy Spirit being manifest in the form of a dove. Sometimes the Holy Spirit was manifest to people. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was manifest among His people. So there's a difference then in God being everywhere all the time and being here, felt, and experienced among His people. God wants to do that. That's why we often pray, especially when we're opening up the Word or like we are now, getting ready for a time of worship. We pray, Holy Spirit, come. Why? Well, He's everywhere all the time, but we want His presence manifest here. We want to experience Him. We want His presence to be felt here. We want Him to come and deal with the issues in our lives. We want Him to reveal the the dark areas of our hearts. We want His joy to come and infuse our lives. We want His comfort to come when we need comfort. We want His boldness and His power to come when we need His boldness and power. So we come together as a church and we say, Holy Spirit, come. Manifest yourself here. May we experience you now. May your presence be felt. So as we go into this second set of worship, let's think about that. That the Holy Spirit is here now to be experienced and felt among us. Church, a moment in the presence of the Holy Spirit, can change you for eternity. All eternity, your life can be changed. He can take something out that needs to go. He can bring something in that needs to come. And every single one of us are different. And the Holy Spirit knows right exactly where we are, every single one of us. So as we approach this series, I want us to now come into the presence of the Lord. I know there's distractions around. I, 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 you can hear the street. You can hear the kids, all of that. So, listen, church, leave your kids in Sunday school. Don't run off and grab them right now. Stay here. Stay in the presence of the Lord. If it requires you to close your eyes, to get into His presence, and let all of the distractions go, do that. If you need to come and kneel down up here to get away from the distractions, do that. But church, we need... We are desperate for the Holy Spirit. Our declaration right now is that we long to live lives in the Spirit. Amen? Lord, we ask you to come now. We ask you to come and meet with every single one of us. Lord, you know every single heart in this room. You know every burden that we carry. We know, you know every sorrow that we've ever had. You know every tear that's ever been shed. Lord, you know the apathy in our lives. You know the sin in our lives. You know absolutely everything. What we want, Lord, is for you to come now. 
in your manifest presence in this place and to speak to our hearts. We understand that'll be different for all of us. But we long for you right now. Lord, come and fill this place. Help us, Lord, to set our focus upon you. Help us, Lord, to let the distractions around us melt away. Help us to care nothing about anything except your presence at this moment in time, that you might change us. Lord, we have decided, we have declared, we understand that what needs to happen in our lives individually and for us as a church can only happen by your Spirit. We don't want to try and manufacture anything. We don't want some pseudo effort on our own to conjure up a good feeling. What we want, Lord, is your Holy Spirit to fall. Come, Spirit, come. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at The Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening and God bless.